I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is conductor Francesco Lecce Chong, the music director of the Eugene Symphony. Lecce Chong is not just passionate about conducting music, but also in educating new audiences to classical music. Francesco Lecce Chong, conductor and music director of the Eugene Symphony. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, happy to be here today. Thank you. Yeah. Why don't you take us back and, and, and take us through sort of your career journey? Maybe start with, you know, what got you interested in music in the first place and, and just all the, you know, reading your bio, it's, it's, it's incredible how many orchestras, how many places you've been. Uh, tell us about it. Tell us about this, uh, this, this, this journey you've been on. Oh, that's, that sounds great. I'll, I'll try to keep it so we're not here for the next several hours. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, as far as becoming a conductor, ever since conductors have, have existed, which, you know, honestly, not too long, maybe 200 years or so as a profession, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's been like the most chaotic path you can take because <laughs> very few of us actually start off being like, yeah, I want to do, you know, I want to be a musician but I want to be a musician that makes no sound. Um, <laughs> that, that seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, so, you know, for, for me, like pretty much every other conductor, I just started, you know, loving music. I was um, starting as a you know pianist and violinist uh, growing up in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, luckily my, my parents, uh, they weren't musicians. There's no musicians in my family, but um, a very creative family. And so mm. once they saw that my interest was in music, um, I, I really was able to, to pursue it. So, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I was playing piano and violin and viola and clarinet. Mm. Uh, I was applying to colleges even as a composer mm. uh, and as a pianist. Those were actually my two main things. Okay. Um, that's how I ended up in, in New York City doing my undergrad at the, the Manus College of Music. Uh, but I will say even by the time I was, uh, you know, going to my undergrad, I, I had my finger on the pulse of being a conductor. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite things to do growing up was playing in youth orchestra. And I played whatever they need, wanted me to play in youth orchestra at that point, hmm. any one of the instruments I was playing. But I, I also started working with the conductor, kind of being mentored. And I quickly kind of, even just those very early experiences of conducting like, you know, one or two minutes at a time, I was already kind of getting the sense, wow, you know, I love bringing people together. I love this orchestra music uh, that brings together, you know, 50, 100 musicians. And I love the repertoire. And I, I think it's 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 something that I probably would have been comfortable saying then or really throughout my my serious studies. But it's something I'm very comfortable saying now, which is I think part of it is I'm as much a people person as I am a music person. Hmm. And the hardest thing for me to do is sit in a practice room and practice like six hours a day, like when I was trying to become, you know, a, a concert pianist. Okay. And it was really hard to motivate myself to just be alone like that for so long when the end goal was to also be alone on a stage playing by yourself. Hmm. But the moment you gave me something else to prepare for, you know, whether it was chamber music, whether it was playing in orchestra or whether it was conducting, um, it just it was like it was effortless because the end goal was to connect with people, to make music with other musicians. And that really motivated me. So I, I think that's kind of how everything got kind of pushed forward for me. I already knew I wanted to head in the conducting direction. So I kind of quickly started spending more time doing that. And ultimately, I went to the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia um, for uh, kind of grad work in, in conducting. Hmm. Uh, after that, you know, you uh, go through 
they're kind of like paid internships to be honest but you do get a nice title of assistant or associate conductor of an orchestra okay and uh, i did my uh assistantships with the milwaukee symphony and the pittsburgh symphony uh, which are two just incredible uh, American orchestras. Mm. Uh, and particularly in Pittsburgh, I got a, a chance to really experience kind of the the heights, if you will, you know, going on tour to Europe and being at the proms and, um, you know, week in and week out, getting to work with some of the greatest conductors and, and artists uh, in the world. So uh, that, and then after that period of time, the great thing about becoming an assistant at one of these big orchestras is the small orchestras start looking at you as a possible candidate. Hmm. And that's really kind of what, how I ended up in Eugene. Um, it, it's an open, it's an open application process, but, uh, you know, I was encouraged to, to apply, you know, they were looking for candidates um, that had similar experiences to me. And that process, you know, obviously it takes a while. It's about a two year process to yeah. hire a music director. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was my path. And in a sense, you know, uh, in a sense, it was really smooth and that I, I never, you know, it was kind of, I was able to go from one thing to the next. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's been a lot of different experiences, which I think um, is quite important to find myself in the position where I am now. When you were younger, like you said in high school, and you were uh, you were you were studying to be and, and wanted to be a concert pianist, was there a moment that you can recall when you were, say, at the piano, and you looked over at the person behind the podium, and 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 was there a spark when you thought, I want to do that? I'm not sure if there was a, a moment, okay. but it was pretty obvious early on. Um, you know, I, I like I think of very fondly when I was 16, I went to the Aspen Music Festival as a pianist, mm -hmm. of course. And uh, when I should have been practicing, what I was actually doing was the orchestra back then was conducted by David Zinman, you know, one of the great conducting pedagogues of all time. Yeah. And uh, he directed, you know, he taught the conductors and con directed the orchestras at Aspen. And the conductor lessons would happen with an orchestra, but everyone was smashed into like this little building <laughs> um, that could really only fit the orchestra and maybe, you know, a teacher and a couple students. But the back of the orchestra like would open up because it was kind of like a barn. And so you could kind of sneak in behind the orchestra. And I really kind of consider that to be my first conducting lessons <laughs> in a sense. Um, and, you know, every day when they were having their conducting lessons, instead of practicing, I was sneaking into that kind of barn and, and hanging out and watching all of the students get their lessons. So I think probably at that point, I probably should have realized that um, where my priorities were. <laughs> what, what makes a great conductor? Well, obviously, you know, a complete understanding of the music. And, and like you said, you know, someone who can understand people because it is the people who are making the music. But... You know, what else about it? What, what, what have you found in your career that, that you feel like, yeah, these are what I'm doing now or, or what skill I've obtained is obtained is really important to be a conductor and a music director? You know, it, it's a great question. And I think I become more unsure of the answer every hmm. year I do it. Hmm. Uh, it it's and which is a kind of a shame since you know I'm starting to actually like you know help out younger conductors and mentor them, <laughs> and I feel more more insecure about actually um, you know what are we what are we doing? I mean you know we're we're up there on the podium. Uh, if you took away all the music, 
you know, we would we would be committed to an asylum. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> there's nothing we're doing that really, in essence, makes any any sense. And and if you really are, you know, if you look at the great conductors of all time and all the videos we have of conductors, everybody looks so different. I mean, there <laughs> is there is nothing about any of these conductors that can make them look uh, like even the, per perhaps they're even doing the same thing sometimes. Hmm. Uh, you know, so it it, it really there there is definitely something that you really can't that's really hard to grasp onto when it comes um, to, to conducting. You know, it's it's funny because in school we're taught kind of the basics, like you know, you make this motion with your hand to to do this. You know, this is how you show the orchestra the beat, mm -hmm. and this is how you keep. I guess the, you know the focus is on how do you keep the orchestra together, hmm. and I think what's hard about um, being a conductor is the farther you get in the field, like the better orchestras that you conduct, the less that matters, like the less those orchestras are looking at to you just to play together. Like that's not interesting to them anymore. Okay. And, you know, the greatest orchestras in the world, you could, you know, they're going to sound fantastic day in, day out, no matter who's up there hmm. uh, conducting them. And when they sound amazing, it's often because of the kind of musicians that's on the podium, not necessarily the kind of conductor, because they just need someone that is really that that really motivates them, that can really connect with them. And one of the great things about and the important thing about being an assistant conductor with an orchestra is that week in and week out, I get to see different style conductors come through. And I and you know the the some of them had really great weeks. Some of them didn't have great weeks as far as, you know, personality, you know, clashing with the personality of the orchestra. And there's no rhyme or reason, you know, they could go on to a different orchestra the next week and things would go along great. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think this is a long way of, of saying that absolutely there has to be some basics. Like you said, you sure. have to be um, a musician of some caliber, uh, you know, to be able to just, you know, even understand the score and be able to listen correctly. Um, you know, that's probably the hardest, hardest thing is to be able to hear everything that's going on, process it, and basically be analyzing what's happening in the moment while mentally, of course, as a conductor, you're always thinking ahead. You're always preparing the orchestra for what's about to happen. And I, I think, you know, my in studying conducting that was by far the biggest challenge for me and it's the hardest thing for me to explain to young conductors but it's also the most important thing for them is to learn to be able to have those things happening at the same time you're you're reading the music you're processing that you're hearing what's happening in real time with the orchestra and analyzing that and trying to figure out if you go back you know what what needs to be fixed or what was like a one-time mistake like did someone just miss a note and it doesn't matter it'll never happen again you know, so making sure you're analyzing in the right way and then but also at the same time, you're you're conducting a piece of music. You have to know where are you in the piece of music? Is that a, you know, a 10 minute overture? Is it an hour long Mahler symphony? <laughs> uh, where are you in it? How are you pacing it? What's the tempo? Where are you trying to get the orchestra to? Uh, and and so all those other elements come together and somehow it all has to happen uh, simultaneously. So. I think that's probably the biggest challenge. I think that's what I see in some of the greatest conductors is this very, this incredible ability to, to very calmly and succinctly be able to understand everything that's going on. And then, of course, the end all be all, which is really, really get, where it gets fascinating is 
how do you communicate that to the orchestra? Yeah. How do you convince them that you have a vision for this piece of music that's not this egocentric, I know more than you vision, <laughs> but a, hey, let's do this together. Like, let's, if we do this, this is going to sound fantastic. Yeah. And I, I imagine it's probably the same being a boss in any office as well. Is that that idea of making sure it doesn't feel like I'm just telling everyone what to do. And I have this vision that you'll never know, but that we're all in this together. Sure. Although I think what might be different, especially from a leadership perspective, is this. Many leaders, uh, you know, they may not get direct feedback as to how they're doing. Sure, they may ask people to do things and then they do them, but the results may not be immediate. But I would imagine that the one true benefit of being a conductor is, boy, you know right away if as a leader, you're being followed by this, this, this almost living organism, uh, truly a living organism of music. That's a good point. You know, I never really thought about that. I, I guess the instant feedback is, in, <laughs> is, is a positive. I think it's also really scary, of course, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, you don't get, you, everyone sees the result right away, which is, of course, what, one of the most difficult things, because there are times that you come up with a bad idea. It <laughs> just happens. Sure. And I think, you know, well, personally for me, one of the reasons I love being a music director and not just a guest conductor is, you know, if I go into an orchestra, I don't know. Uh, there's a certain amount of stuff that just, uh, they're not interested in, um, they haven't gotten to know you yet. So, you know, they don't know how I work or how I do things. And so really, as you're, when you're getting to know an orchestra for the first time, you need to be, a little more careful about how you work. It needs to be clear. There needs to be a way that you do things. What I love about getting, once you get to know an orchestra like in Eugene or Santa Rosa, if I have to, I'm not going to waste time. I'll just make fun of myself. Like if I <laughs> said, Hey, can we, can we do this? You know, can we speed up here and really, you know, push towards this chord and we do it and it sounds terrible. You know, I'm just going to be, I'll just be like, Hey, that's on me. Like, <laughs> never mind. Please ignore me. You know, and, and everyone laughs a little and yeah. it's fine. And they appreciate that. I'm not going to waste our time on something that, uh, you know, that I, I really listened to. And I was like, you know what? Never mind. You yeah. know, that, that we shouldn't have, have dealt with that. Um, so I, I think it goes both ways, but I understand what you mean that, um, uh, that there is that instant, instant feedback, which is a little different in this case. Sure. Sure. We're going to take our first break. We're talking to Francesco Leche Chong. He is the uh, director. He's the music director and conductor of the Eugene Symphony. We'll be right back. This is Leila Faldil with NPR. If you collect classic cars and you're thinking about making some room in your collection, please consider donating it. It's hassle-free, and the proceeds will benefit this station. And we're back. We're talking with Francesco Leche Chong. He is the music director and conductor of the Eugene Symphony. Let's talk about that. 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 That part of your title music director because there's so much more that goes on beyond you in front of the uh, in front of the orchestra talk about what a music director uh, talk about that part of 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 what you do sure absolutely i i love being a music director i think uh you know we all have you know as as orchestra conductors we all have different things that we love about what we do um and what I often ha have found is that, you know, people love conducting an orchestra, but they might not love answering emails like four or five hours a day, which is what I did today before I talked to you. <laughs> um, you know, there's a very unglamorous part of, of the job in a sense, uh, because it's administrative work. It is laying the, the foundations 
for what you do when you're able to get on stage. And, and it can be tough to juggle that because just studying scores for concerts absolutely could be a, could be a full-time job and is a full-time job. Mm. And there's plenty of conductors that kind of choose to do that route. Um, and there's even plenty of music directors that kind of choose to move a lot of that administrative work onto like, you know, onto staff or kind of find a way that's, it's kind of not their style. Like they don't want to get into the weeds on things. Um, for, for me, I love it. Mm. I, I think that's really what, what motivates me is being able to build something, um, to, to be able to over time, uh, create a community to, to bring people together, to strengthen an orchestra, to develop relationships with the orchestra and, and connect them with the community. All of this is to me is just fascinating and, and having to spend that extra bit of time so that I really know what's going on in my organization, um, is terrific. You know, ultimately it's a really fascinating structure as far as, as, as how an orchestra works, you essentially have your board of directors and then they hire an executive director and then a, a music director, or you mm -hmm. can look at us as the artistic director. So you basically have executive and artistic and we're considered equals, mm -hmm. uh, both hired by the board and the executive director essentially runs the organization, uh, the, the administrative side of things. So they know all of the numbers that all the staff members work for them. Um, you know, they're even the ones that liaison with the board. Uh, they're basically the ones keeping everything working. And then alongside of them is the music director and essentially everyone who works for me, if you will, are, are the musicians in the orchestra. So that falls under uh, my side of things. Uh, and I work with the executive director to uh, make sure that the artistic things that I want to do in a given season will fit the budget based on uh, fundraising and ticket sales and all of that stuff that the executive director has their pulse on. Yeah. And there's very much a world where uh, a music director doesn't need to know any of that. And in fact, I was kind of taught early on, hey, don't worry about any of that stuff. Like your job is to dream big, come up with big ideas, you know, make sure you have a great relationship with your orchestra. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you present your ideas to the executive director and to the board and to donors. And, you know, they're the ones that, um, you know, ensure that something can happen or, or not, like if you need to go back to the drawing board and, and change things. Um, but I think quickly, you know, I, I, that just hasn't really been my, my style. I love to work collaboratively and, and I want to know, like, I, I don't want my executive director reluctantly saying yes to hmm. me planning some massive project when you know two years later they're going to be like oh you know we don't have the money for this because we spent it all on that you know like like that to me is is just I, it's kind of to me it's heartbreaking honestly and there's a lot of orchestras that have gotten into financial troubles over the years because artistically it was disconnected from reality yeah, yeah. um and and i find you know that part of a part of a conductor's job these days whether we like it or not is is we have to advocate financially um, for our orchestra and for our musicians. And part of that is being, uh, is being responsible about other projects that we do. You know, the, the primary responsibility should be to make sure that we can, um, you know, pay our musicians and keep the orchestra at a really high standard.
Yeah. And, you know, if that means, you know, you don't get to bring Yo-Yo Ma to play with your orchestra as often, <laughs> that's okay. You know, and, and so, you know, there, there's some funny, you know, there's some funny lines around there where I think I, I like to live as a, as a music director, where I, uh, I'm not in control of our budget and I certainly don't want to be, <laughs> um, but I like to know what's going on. And I, I want to know that I'm making responsible decisions, that I am protecting this orchestra and that I am making sure that we're going to be stronger in five and 10 years from now. Um, so, you know, it's, that's kind of the, the bird's eye view of, of sort of what we're expected to do. But then also, um, I, I think that, uh, I, I think I can achieve more as a music director. And I think we've, we've shown that in Eugene over the past, uh, seven years that we can really do some incredible things when the artistic and the administrative, uh, come together. Yeah. Well, expand upon that in terms of, you know, your, your, your tenure at Eugene, maybe, uh, you know, talk about the community and its appreciation for the type of music that, that you conduct and you find as, as a music director, you know, talk about your place and, and the symphony's place in the community, but then also perhaps the community's impact on you and the symphony. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've grown together. Uh, you know, the Eugene Symphony was my very first music directorship. And I've, you know, it's been a whole world that was suddenly open to me. There is absolutely nothing in school that they can teach you to prepare you for this. Hmm. And and even in a sense, you know, being a assistant conductor for these large orchestras that are, you know, uh, 10, 20 times the size of Eugene yeah. also really isn't that useful as far as um, how to handle my, my non-musical duties. Hmm. Uh, so that, that was just, uh, it's just a whole, um, it's just a whole, a whole nother game, um, having to balance, uh, th this, this kind of community si side of things. But, but I will say the, the audition process is so rigorous. There's so many interviews and all the different stakeholders I have to meet with. Uh, you know, I spent, as a finalist, I spent a week in Eugene. Mm -hmm. So they, it's really important that, uh, that you all share a vision and an idea of what an orchestra's role is. So when you're ultimately hired, assuming that you've been honest and they've been honest, mm -hmm. you're probably going to be a really good fit. And I think that's what I, what has been so um, remarkable and what I've been so grateful for in my time in Eugene is we've been able to put together uh, concerts and experiences that are beyond even my wildest dreams as far as just giving people these just very unique experiences. And, and right off the bat, I mean, just to give you a great example, is a concert that I wasn't even a part of planning because mm. by the time they hired me, it was already ready to go. And, and this was kind of my first taste. And, it, and I guess you can say this is kind of where the community inspired me to already begin to think about my role differently. Um, and so this very first season, it was in 2017 when I just started mm -hmm. uh, in, in Eugene, there was a project um, that was a, a collaboration with uh, Travel Lane County and the Mackenzie River Trust. Mm -hmm. And it was called the Four Seasons. Uh, uh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the whole, whole name of the project. Um, it, it's called um, the, 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 four, the Four Seasons of the Mackenzie. Okay. I think that's kind of, that was the name of the project. Yep. And the idea was to take Vivaldi's, you know, very uh, uh, famous Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. And while it was uh played 
it was actually a community driven project to have people take photos of the river mm. uh, in the different seasons. And then there was basically kind of a big contest and, and all of these photos were curated and put together into these amazing, gorgeous slideshows. And uh, and we had Rachel Barton Pinecomb, who's a, just an incredible violinist. And it was it was it was, you know, the, absolutely the essence of a community project. And, and you know, it, it sold out. It brought in tons of people to the orchestra for the very first time. You know, anyone who loved the outdoors, uh, you know, Eugene is such an outdoors community mm -hmm. with, you know, it's running and nature. Uh, and, it, you know, so this was a project that that expanded what an orchestra could be and the kinds of people that it could bring together. And that was kind of my first you know, kind of initiation into this idea of, of, hey, you know, think bigger. I mean, look, look what happened when this project came together. Uh, and, and so, you know, that it's something that I didn't even have a part of. And, and so, you know, then the next thing, of course, you know, for me was what was what was going to be my next project. And what I decided to work on was more of a technology um, focused, uh, focused program, hmm. which was called the color of sound. And this was taking music of Alexander Scriabin. And, and unlike, you know, Vivaldi's Four Seasons, I was taking music that almost nobody would know. Hmm. Um, and there was this piece called Prometheus of uh, Prometheus, Poem of Fire by hmm. Scriabin. And this is like back in 1903. Uh, Scriabin is this, you know, is this Russian composer who is he has all these crazy philosophical ideas and he's trying to write music that he believes is going to bring about the end of the world. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's trying to create music that's going to um, affect all the senses. And so he conceptually comes up with what he calls the light organ, which is essentially an instrument that would be played like an organ, hmm. but instead of any sound coming out, it would project colors. Wow. And he actually writes down very specifically you know, what notes would go to what colors. And Prometheus Poem of Fire is the only score that he wrote where there is actually an instrument in it called the light organ. Hmm. And it's not meant to be heard. Huh. And it has to be interpreted. And and over the years, uh, a lot of uh, orchestras have played the piece, but usually they hire some director to come in and they, they build like a light show around it, but they don't actually build the instrument. Hmm. Uh, and so what we did is we actually worked together with um, uh, Harmonic Laboratories and Light at Play, um, two in incredible groups in Eugene. And we essentially built this, this light organ, which was this huge eight-foot diameter LED globe that hung in the center of the hall. And it was connected to, like, a, to a MIDI keyboard that had been programmed uh, that we worked on for a year to program it so that the light could reflect dynamics and articulation and phrasing um, and yet at the same time be as spontaneous as a musician playing an instrument wow and so there there you know there was a musician on stage playing this midi keyboard knowing that in the moment if they you know pressed a note harder or they let it go sooner it would actually uh, be reflected in this globe uh, so it was it was an absolute massive project and and there was a there was a whole mentorship component to it because I wanted the whole program to be about color and sound. Hmm. And so we added some other pieces on the program. And there ended up being some high school students that were mentored throughout the year to create their own visual ideas for music. Uh, and it just again became this wonderful community project 
and uh and kind of a really uh, like a lot several things in eugene kind of became a an only in eugene sort of thing where we just happened to have the right companies and the right artists and the right funding yeah. um, to be able to kind of put together this you know first time ever experience well and and as you're talking i'm thinking to myself you know that sh that 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 artistry that both combining visual and audio uh, uh, sensory experience is that what you would think is important to try and attract younger audiences, a diverse audience? You know, giving giving you know people who who may not think about symphony music a real experience that goes beyond whatever preconceived notions they might have. I do. Um, you know, it's been something I thought especially a lot about during COVID when I probably had too much time to think. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think for me, no matter what, I'm always going to be that kind of artist that's looking to kind of do risky things to mm -hmm. kind of push the barriers of what a concert experience can be. Um, but but interestingly enough, I and perhaps it's because of my my love and my uh, for for education and really making sure that young people have opportunities to connect with music um i i have to say i've been a little confused by our collective industries idea that we have to do um we have to do different things in the concert hmm. to get people to get new people to come to concerts hmm. as if uh you know beethoven's fifth symphony isn't enough hmm. you know that that somehow someone who's never been to an orchestra before never been to a concert before would somehow be uh uh more excited to come to a concert where there was an orchestra playing with like a light show mm -hmm. than coming to hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which is still one of the most memorable things you can ever experience. Sure. Sure. And I, I guess in, in a way, obviously, you know, there needs to be a a way to be more welcoming to new audience members. And I think that comes from a lot of different ways. I think it's from the way you program a whole concert. Um, you know, the way you put pieces together, the way, uh, you know, you choose to selectively introduce certain pieces, the kinds of artists that you bring. Um, and, it, you know, it can start from everything. It's like, what does your program book look like? You know, what is your pre-concert experience like? Is it a lecture or is it a conversation? You know, um, there's, there's all sorts of different ways that we can make such a better impact on our, on our community. Hmm. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, I think our, our, you know, what an orchestra does, which is play great orchestra music is not flawed. And I, I know that it, strangely enough, it seems to be like a risky thing to say, to say these days. Hmm. Uh, but really one of my goals is I want the people that love our orchestra already, people that have been coming to the orchestra for a long time. Mm -hmm. I want to give them totally new experiences of the orchestra because mm -hmm. they know how incredible Beethoven and Brahms and Tchaikovsky are. And we're going to do that as well. But for them, I want to empower them to think differently about what the orchestra can be and how we can bring the community together. Uh, because there are advocates. If you already love the symphony, I want to give you all the tools to think about bigger ideas about what the orchestra can be. But if you haven't ever been to an orchestra before, I want you to come and hear Beethoven. I really mm. do. You know, yeah. I... I don't think it's one of those things where it's where you're going to say, oh, well, Beethoven's 250 years old. So like, I, I don't get this. 
you know hmm. like i don't think anyone's ever said that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone in any culture has ever said that you know i mean beethoven's ninth symphony is most performed in japan hmm. you know that like that's like the thing that they do there is beethoven's ninth symphony and you couldn't think of a work that's culturally more different in a sense um but at, at any rate it it's it's really it's a great question that you ask and obviously i don't nobody has the answer because if we had the answer we'd be pulling in you know a, a demographic that's a little well actually perhaps a lot more diverse however um i i think sometimes we're we're too worried about the product instead of um how we're inviting people to appreciate it and i think a bigger problem is that we have taught audiences that everything we play is a masterpiece and if you don't like something it's because you don't understand it hmm. and i think that's been one of the most harmful ideas that we have promoted over the past you know 20 30 years is is this idea that you know let us teach you let us explain everything to you hmm. instead of just being like here's a bunch of crazy music i mean these composers were wild none of them <laughs> followed the rules all of them saw, thought outside the box and they usually pissed off a lot of people with their music <laughs> and you know we just dug in on that and just let people appreciate it for what it is. And if they hate something, that's great. It means you had a reaction to it, hmm. you know? Hmm. And and I, I don't know. I think there's there's something there uh, that that's kind of my mission now is to really explore that. While I'm doing all my innovative and, you know, commissions and all the new stuff that I can bring into the concert hall. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I'm doing a family concert next season. That's going to be Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That's it. <laughs> It's yeah. going to be me, a bunch of families, and I'm going to take apart Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and put it back together again and show them all the little tidbits that Beethoven did. <laughs> and we're just going to have fun with it and talk about just how insane it is that a composer dared to write a piece like that. <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of the way we should approach, you know, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, there, there you go. That's my my little my little soapbox that I spent too much time thinking about. No, no, no. That's great, and and, and that's a perfect place to end it. I think uh, you know, Francesco Lecce Chong, the conductor and music director of the Eugene Symphony, really appreciate you 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 talking to us. The the energy, the love of music, and and it, it's been a great uh, uh, learning and experiential thing for me. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me as well. That was our conversation with conductor Francesco Lecce Chong, the music director of the Eugene Symphony. He's excited to be continuing the symphony's decades-long legacy. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.